Knowing Jesus is the best gift that any person can receive. If you're hungry for that encounter, if you're dying to know the love of God, which alone makes sense out of life, if you're longing to know that you matter so much and that His power can fill you with all that you need so that you can be the man or the woman that you want to be, then join me and dig into the scriptures and the teachings of the church so that we can find the life that Jesus has made us for. Ave Maria Radio presents Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. He's a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit and is currently the executive director of a nonprofit organization called Acts 29, which exists to work with pastors and their teams to transform their parish culture and reclaim the church's missionary identity. He was ordained in 1996. This time, Father Ricardo focuses our attention on our Heavenly Father and trusting in Him. And, true to all of the earlier sessions, he uses illustrations from the Passion of the Christ. Here is Father John Ricardo. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, we thank you again for today and for the wondrous gift of life. And our hearts are filled with expectation and anticipation as we draw near to Holy Week, just days away now. Lord, we continue to pray that you would pour out your Spirit upon us and upon the whole church in this holiest of weeks. Pray that you would root our eyes to the cross and to the great things which you have done for us in your Son. Fill us with great confidence in you. Remove all our fears and all our insecurities and all those things which threaten our trust in you. Give to us more and more, Father, we pray, the great gift of faith. We ask your blessings upon us tonight. Pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in our own hearts, however you wish to do that. We ask all these things through Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's just retrace what we've done so far. We began this mission by looking at sin and the seriousness of our own sins, which are really laid out for us in a particular way in the graphic and brutal nature of what we see in Gibson's movie, The Passion. While that's just a dramatic representation, and despite people who say nobody could have survived this, which is true, no one could have survived it. That's exactly the point, actually. Only God made man could have survived that. But that helps us understand just how real and how hideous our own personal sin is. That was the first week. Then we, we kind of move from there to an understanding of the demand for forgiveness and the need that each of us has to share the wondrous forgiveness that God has given to us, which was purchased at the price of his blood, and that once that's been shared with us by him, then that needs to flow out through us to others. And then we looked at the reality of evil and Satan, who's the instigator of this sin and this unwillingness to forgive that's in us. Talked about how to be on guard against him. And then we looked at suffering. Our ability to cooperate with the Lord in the great work that is redemption. And then that led the way into Our Lady, in a particular way, Mary, last week, who talked about just as each of us in Paul's letter to the Colossians, how he talks about how, how we fill up in our own flesh what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. And so in that way, we redeem with the Lord. He's the one redeemer. Let's make sure we emphasize that again. He's the only redeemer. And yet you and I participate in that work of redemption. That's his gift to us, to allow us to work with him in that great work which makes possible our salvation. And then Mary does that in a preeminent way, for Mary is the mother of our Lord. So if you and I cooperate with the Lord in his task of redemption, then Mary certainly does that in an extraordinary way, for she's his mother and she's without sin. Now tonight we're going to look at the Father. And in particular, I'm thinking of the Lord's words from the cross when he says, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. And one of the the more striking things in the movie to me, and one of the things I, I really appreciated was, almost in a subtle way, the dynamic that it shows between the Lord and his Father. The Father's always on his mind. If you can remember, I'm, I'm thinking in particular of the scene in Gethsemane that opens the movie, and the Lord's talking to the Father. He's praying the Psalms, but he talks to the Father all throughout that. We remember, of course, him saying, you know, Father, let this cup pass from me. 
but not my will, but yours be done. Or when he's at the column and he's getting scourged and he says, Father, my heart is steadfast as he prepares to get savagely beaten. Or when he's on the cross and there's a whole set of scenes in the cross where that his relationship with the Father is coming out, whether it's um, him crying from the cross, Father, forgive them. Remember that, that great moment when Caiaphas is taunting the Lord and then he begins to walk away and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. And the good thief on Jesus' side kind of looks down at Caiaphas and says, did you hear that? He's praying for you. One of the more moving scenes to me is when they, uh, I believe it's when they're nailing one of his hands in and the Lord's in agony, obviously, and he just cries. He says, Father, Father, my Father, oh God. So the Father's always on his lips and always in his heart. And I think that's significant for us because I think at times anyway, perhaps especially in the last 30 years or so, there's, there's been a tendency, I hope this comes across right, for us as Christians to be inappropriately Christocentric. Let me explain that. There is often, I think, a really little understanding that Jesus has not only come from somewhere, he's come from someone. We hear that in the gospel again tonight. Jesus has been sent. He's been sent by someone. That's extraordinarily important. Let me give you a series of passages I just want to walk us through. John 3.16, one that we see at every football, basketball, and baseball game, huh? God so loved the world. God so loved the world. God, every time you see God in the New Testament, it's Father. God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only Son. Not to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. In Christ, God, that's God the Father, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgresses or our transgresses against us. Well, that great passage in Romans 8, which we looked at briefly when we talked about suffering, if God is for us, Paul says, if God is for us, if the Father is for us, then who can be against us? Who can lay a charge against you if he from whom everything comes is on our side? He who did not spare his own son, Paul says, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? If God didn't hold back that which is most precious to him, namely his son, then how can we not have confidence that he will give us everything? For he's given us the greatest not just thing, but person he can give us. He's given us his son. So again, God in all these texts and in a host of others that we could look at is God the Father. He's doing something. He's taking the initiative. He's acting on our behalf, unworthy and lowly as we are. God has taken this initiative on our behalf. He's done something for us. But I think... For some of us, anyway, a challenge immediately comes to mind with texts like this. I remember uh, it being put most bluntly by a, a very popular talk show host a number of years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago, where he said, someone asked him, are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not a Christian. I could never be a Christian. I could never believe in a God who killed his own son. I could never believe in a God who killed his own son. Now, we may not put it that bluntly, but I would bet many of us actually think that way and don't really understand this dynamic and this interaction and this cooperation that's going on within the Trinity on our behalf. It sounds like the Father is punishing the Son. It sounds like the Father is making him to do all this. Or it can sound like there's a good God, that's Jesus, he's the Son, He comes, he loves us, and then there's a bad God, kind of a vindictive God, a vengeful God, that's God the Father. That's not true. (laughs) Again, when in 1 John chapter 4, 8 and 9, when, when John writes, God is love, that's the Father 
is love. God the Father is love. So we've got to be careful that we don't have this sense of a dichotomy within the Trinity, that there's a good God who's trying to appease this vengeful God. When Paul says in Romans 8, God did not spare his own son, it's not as if Paul's saying God, God didn't... Um, The father didn't do anything to rescue his own son. What it really means is that God didn't spare him for himself. He didn't keep this treasure, his most priceless treasure, for himself. Instead, he he shared the son with us. He gave the son to us. That's the point there. Not that God turned away, the father turned away somehow and just turned his back on the son and let the son suffer. No, it was that he shared with us that which is most precious to him. St. Bernard of Clairvaux wrote, God, meaning God the Father, didn't ask for the blood of his Son, didn't demand it. The Son chose to offer it to the Father. Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, writes, Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The Son, on his own initiative, or on his own, under the initiative of the Father, in cooperation with the Father, gave his life up for us. It was a delight. There's always a a lot of confusion and and questions about what did Jesus know. If you watch uh, all sorts of different movies about Jesus that have been on TV, especially in recent times, it's always a game that people try to play, like, how much did Jesus really know? Did he... Did he know what he was going to do? Did he? And you'll hear people speculate about all sorts of things. But if you read the text over and over again, if you read what Scripture reveals to us, one thing that's abundantly clear is Jesus knows he's the Son, which means he knows he's the Son of the Father. And he knows he has been sent, as I said earlier. So Matthew 10:40. I just want to read a series of passages to make sure we really grasp how clearly this comes across in Scripture especially in the Gospel of John, but also in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus knows he has been sent, which means, again, that someone else has sent him. So Matthew 10, verse 40, He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Matthew 11, 27 Great passage which we'll end with, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Well, that begins with, no one knows the Son but the Father. No one knows the Father but the Son. And no one knows the Father but the Son and anyone to whom the Son should wish to reveal him. There's this tremendous intimacy which is present in the Lord's life between him and his Father. Luke 10, verse 16. This is kind of a a negative twist on the passage in Matthew 10. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And rejects him who sent me. John chapter 5, verse 23. He who does not honor the Son, does not honor the Father who sent him. Again, chapter 5, verse 30. I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, chapter 5, verse 37. And the Father who sent me has borne witness to me. John 5, 43. I have come in my Father's name. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. John 8, verse 16. Yet even if I do judge... My judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and he who sent me. John 8:18. I bear witness to myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness to me. John 8:29. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. And lastly, John 8:42. It's the last line we hear in the gospel today. If God were your father, you would love me. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Now, I don't mean to belabor the point there, but again, it's it's 
crucial for us to realize the Lord understands in his life that he's the son, which means he's not the be-all and end-all, if I can say it that way. You can't stop with Jesus because Jesus hasn't come on his own. We do this often within the church. We don't pray to anyone but the Lord. We don't speak of anyone but Jesus. And most especially, who we exclude is the Father. And Jesus is very, very intent on drawing us to the Father. Indeed, because it's the Father who sent the Son to bring us to himself. In the words of uh, a Swiss mystic, she once wrote that, she's talking about priesthood, actually. She says, the only single reason a man should decide to become a priest The only ultimate reason a man should decide to become a priest, the only motivation he should have is the same motivation the eternal Son of God in heaven had to become man, which was to bring people to the Father. That was the Son's delight, to draw people to the Father. We all hopefully remember Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, he's the way where? He's the way to the Father. He's the truth about what? He's the truth about the Father. Remember, to understand this tree in this garden, you have to understand the other tree in the other garden, where man and woman reached out, Listening to the serpent's accusation. Remember when we talked about Satan, we talked how Satan's accusation against God, his threat against God to the man and the woman was, he does not love you. The father does not love you. He doesn't care about you. He's holding back on you. If he loved you, he'd let you eat that. You know that. He won't let you have it. He doesn't care. That's the truth. The cross. That is the ultimate truth that Satan lies For there we learn the truth that the Father does not hold anything back from us, even so far as to give us his only Son. Jesus is the life. Whose life? The Father's life. He shares in the Father's life with the Holy Spirit. And he's come, sent from the Father, to bring us into the divine life. Some of this is just our hang-up with language. So, for whatever reason, we've stopped calling God Father. But God is Father. That's revelation. That's not insignificant. We'll say more about that as we go further on in some challenges. And there is a need, even as Jesus is the Son, there is a, a need, a demand, for you and I to become like children. Remember Jesus' words in the Gospel of Mark, huh? This is chapter 10, verse 14. When the children are trying to come, they're trying to bring the children to Jesus, the apostles are going, whoa, no, no, get those away from him, he's way too important. He doesn't have time for little children. Remember, little children aren't cute, adorable little things in the ancient world. Little children are purely burdens. They have no rights, they're not persons, they're no, no dignity. So they're trying to keep these things away from the Lord so that he can be busy and occupied with important people. And Jesus gets indignant at the apostles and says, what are you doing? Let the kids come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such as these, he says, belongs the kingdom. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. There is then for you and I a demand to become like children, which is an image which I think is horribly misconstrued and misunderstood, particularly if you have small children at home. Relax, he's not asking you to become like that. In fact, I think if you think about the movie again, you can get some fresh insight into what it means to become a child. Jesus is forever a child. Jesus is now, was from the beginning, will be forever Son, always, all the time. 
everywhere. He is perpetually the Son. And he teaches you and me, he offers to teach you and me, what it means to become a child of God. Or to become a son, or a son or a daughter, in the Son. That's what's happened in baptism, huh? The Holy Spirit's been planted within our hearts, Paul says, and cries out from within us, Abba, Father. That Holy Spirit who was given to us when we were baptized. So now you and I can say with our own lips what the eternal Son of God has said from all eternity, Father. There's a, an odd line in the Gospel of John. I'm trying to think of the passage. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Where Jesus says, Everything I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. Well, think about that for a moment. Everything I have heard from you, or from the Father, I have made known to you. How is that possible? He's an infinite being who's existed from all eternity, who's been in constant communication with his Father. How, in the period of three years, walking around with these 12 men, could he have communicated everything I've ever heard from the Father to you? Unless somehow, this is my own take on that, somehow everything that Jesus has ever heard from the Father is summed up in one word. Son. You are my son. Everything that comes from that. The intimacy, the trust, the surrender, the dependence, the love, the confidence, everything that comes from that. And what Jesus is teaching the apostles and teaching us is he who is my father from all eternity has now chosen in his graciousness, to adopt you as his own children. Think of 1 John chapter 3, huh? when John writes, Beloved, see what love the Father has bestowed on you, that you should be called children of God, for so indeed you are. We have been adopted into the very life that exists between the Father and the Son. And now to become a child merely means to become like Jesus, huh? And is, in terms of the relationship with the Father, it means to depend on him, to trust him, to rely on him. Think back of the image that we've given of faith on a number of occasions. To have faith doesn't just mean to intellectually grab and grasp onto the idea that there's a God. That's not faith. The demons have that. That's not faith. To have faith is to lean so far on God that if he wasn't there, you'd fall over. That's faith. Well, that's the son's life. He leans on the father. He, everything comes from the father. He doesn't come on his own. He doesn't speak on his own authority. He doesn't do what he wants to do. He does what he sees the father doing. He says what he hears from the father. He says this over and over again, especially in the Gospel of John. So he's trying to teach us to do the same, to really learn to rely on the Father. And why? Because of who he is. Because he's good, infinitely good. Because he's generous, because he's merciful, because he's compassionate, because he's just, because he's loving, because he chose to create us. He's made us for himself, not to be used by him, but so that what is his could be given to us. It's the, the words from the end of the parable of the prodigal son that we heard two weeks ago. huh? Son, you're with me always. Everything I have is yours. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians. huh? We have nothing, yet everything is ours. Because everything that is was made by the Father. And it's his good pleasure to give it to us. It'd be worth reading Matthew 6, verses 25 to 33, where Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, speaks to his disciples and all those who are there listening to him. He says, look out there. Look at the, look at the lilies of the field. That, that cute little line that we may have as a poster with a cat and a ball of yarn playing, you know. But that's not the point. The point is, look at the lilies of the field. God planted those. They wither and die like that. They're not made in his image. You're made in his image. If he cares for that, he'll certainly care for you. So trust him. Count on him. 
Learn to lean on him, even as I lean on him and depend upon him. And the reason why this is so pivotal, I think, I think this is the fundamental problem for most of us. The reason why so many of us live lonely lives and the only way to overcome the obstacle that is that loneliness is to come to know the Father, both for men and for women, to really come to know who the Father is. I think all of us, like Philip in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, have within us something of his same cry, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Show us the Father. I need to know my Father. I need to know his love. I need to know he cares. I need to know he's good. I need to know he forgives all that I've done. I need to know that he's merciful and compassionate and generous. I need to know him. I need to know that he's with me even now when everything seems so dark. I need to know him, Lord. Show me the Father. I think of St. Ignatius of Antioch, this great hero of the early church who dies right around 110 or so in the second century, who wrote a series of letters as he was on his way to the Colosseum in Rome to be devoured by lions. And he knew he was going to die. So he wrote a series of letters to these different churches saying farewell to them and encouraging them and exhorting them. And in one of the letters, he writes about how as he draws closer and closer to Rome, all he hears is a voice within him that says, come to the Father, come to the Father, come to the Father. And that's the longing in his heart. It's the longing in every heart. Like Augustine says, our hearts are restless, Lord, They will always be restless until they rest in thee. Who's the thee? The Father who has sent his Son so that we might have access to the Father. And our fears and our discouragement and our anxiety and our apprehension and our self-concern and our insecurity are all done away with when we come to know him. When you really come to know him, not to know about him, like we've said on many occasions about the Lord, about Jesus, but to know him. A week from this coming Saturday, hopefully you will all be at an Easter vigil. If you've never been, go. It's the greatest event in the church all year. And the Easter vigil begins in darkness and the lighting of the Easter candle and then the singing of the Exalted, the greatest hymn that is in the church. And in the Exalted, there's a line which the deacon or the priest will sing which says, Father, How wonderful your love for us. How boundless your merciful care. To ransom a slave, you gave away your son. To ransom slaves, us. The father gave his son so that we would come to know him and to rest in him and to know his delight in us and to live in peace. It's particularly stunning when women come to know God as Father. A woman who knows God as Father is immovable because there's just this remarkable security. I know my Father loves me. I know that. And with that comes great freedom, especially living in the culture that we live in now, where in order for so many people to have worth or a sense of worth, I have to look a particular way, I have to measure up, I have to have that kind of status, well, we're never going to look that way. Like the women don't even look that way who are in the magazines. They're fake, (laughs) you know, they're airbrushed. They don't look that way. How are you going to look that way? But you don't need to look that way if you know that he who made everything is crazy about me. I know that. Therefore, what you think really means nothing to me. It's inconsequential. The only opinion I'm worried about is his. He's crazy about me. He gave me a son so that all that's his could be mine. And about that, there are no doubts, even when I don't feel it, there are no doubts because, again, I can see it. I can see what the Father's done for me. I know how precious I am to him. That's the other thing which comes across in the film is 
my goodness, how can we possibly be this significant to God that he would choose to do this? He who needs nothing. Now, there are for us some real obstacles. I know that. Most especially our own fathers. That's a real obstacle for some of us. I I am tremendously blessed to have been given by God a father who revealed to me something of who God is. And I've told him that on countless occasions. The greatest gift my dad has given me is he's communicated something of who God is. His care, his compassion, his generosity, his forgiveness, his kindness. That's why for those of you who are fathers, particularly when you have kids still at home, it is so crucial for you to show forth a good image to your kids because God is Father. That's not just an image. God is Father. It's important to grasp this. In an analogy, the difference doesn't mean God's male. Okay, relax on that. It means God is Father. And in an analogy, the, the, the difference is greater than the similarity. But there's a real similarity. There's a real connection between who a father is on earth and the father. All fatherhood comes from God in heaven. But for those of us who don't have a good example of a father, who haven't had, Jesus can overcome that and wants to overcome that. That might be, for some of us, the greatest gift we could ask for this coming Holy Week. In fact, that's one of the challenges I just want to encourage to all of us. As you leave here tonight and as we go home, ask Jesus to show you the Father. Ask the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, Lord, take me to the Father. I need to know him. I need to experience his love for me. He can do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit brings us into contact with the love of the Father. He gives us that experience. He wants to give that experience. Ask him. Jesus, show me your Father who's now become my Father. I need to know him. For my heart is restless and my life is not at peace. And there are so many things which are not in place. But the moment I know that's in place, somehow everything rests on rock. I need to know him. Help me to know him. And if we can come to know him, Remember, again, Jesus says, no one knows the Father but the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wishes to reveal him, which, oh, by the way, is everybody. He wants to reveal the Father to us all. That's why he's come. He's come to bring us to the Father. So ask him. Hold him on his promise. Lord, you said you came to do this. I'd like you to do it. I need you to do it. Help me. And then lastly, I've given this prayer of abandonment. I hope everybody's got a copy. In all honesty, if there's a tougher prayer to pray, I don't know what it is. If you're familiar with this. I found a series of years ago I stopped praying it. I'm just starting to pray it again. I feel like I I can begin to pray it again in honesty, but I, I had to stop a while back. This is a tremendous prayer. It's written by uh, Charles de Foucauld. And I'll just read it. Don't read it with me. Just listen to it and and try to make it your own. And understand that this is the Son's disposition. And that to enter the kingdom of heaven, we have to take on this disposition. And that rather than we have to take it on, if we can take it on, again, what it brings is freedom. The truth, Jesus said in the gospel tonight, will set you free. What truth? truth about who my father is, the truth about how significant you are to him, the truth about how much he loves you, the truth about the fact you can come home again, that will set you free. Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will, whatever you may do. I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. With only your will be done in me and in all your creatures, I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart, for I love you, Lord, and so need to give myself. 
to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence. For you are my Father. If we can learn to pray that, not just as some rote prayer, but to really pray it, then our life will get that freedom that the Lord so wants to give us. We'll have that sense of security, which he had. I think one of the things which probably aggravated the Pharisees more than anything was just the freedom Jesus had in talking with him. And the freedom came from knowing I'm the son, he's my father, I've come to do his will. What you all think of me, but it doesn't mean anything to me. Other than I want you to know what I know and who I know. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. If we can take on that same attitude in this Holy Week, to really be able to say to the Lord with gracious hearts and sincere hearts, Lord, I give you my life. I trust you. I depend on you. I know you're good. I know you're faithful. And we're going to have a, an entirely new way of living. The life which he had, the son had, and has, and wants to share with us. So I pray that will be ours these next ten days in a, in a really powerful and, and dramatic way that he'll do something great. Ask him to do something great this next week and expect him to do it. Don't just listen to the passion narratives like you've heard them before. Expect God to work. With the images that you have in mind of what you've seen, let the images flood your mind and expect him to transform your heart and your mind as you encounter that word again as it proclaimed when we gather for Holy Thursday and Good Friday and Holy Saturday. All right, any questions? Yeah. Yeah, the question is, how do the Jewish people relate to God the Father absent Jesus? Well, there's a number of occasions in the Old Testament when they address God as Father. Uh, I mean, even think of the gospel that you just heard tonight, where the Jewish people, was, as they're in discussion with Jesus, say, we have one Father, our Father's God. Well, tomorrow the gospel is going to be, no, your Father is, is the devil. It's going to provoke them a little bit. They have some sense, anyway, of God as Father, okay, but that stems from mainly what, from the gift of creation, first of all, okay, that God has generated us, which is one of the essences of fatherhood, huh? to generate. So from the work that he's done in delivering them from slavery in Egypt, okay, what's absolutely novel in, in Jesus is that Jesus addresses God personally as my father, whereas typically, I don't know that you can say exclusively, but typically for the Jewish people, it would be our father, our communal father, that he, he has formed us as a people, which he did, very clearly. What so aggravates, and, and you see this in the Gospel of John too, what, what really aggravates the Jewish leaders, some of the Jewish leaders in the Gospels, is that Jesus dares to call God his own father. And they don't, they don't understand that to mean that you, you're someone who he's particularly delighted in. They understand exactly what he's really saying, which is, I and the Father are one, which is preposterous. Because God is absolutely other. He's totally transcendent. He has no children. Okay? He has no image. You're forbidden to make an image. Now here's a man walking the earth saying, I and the Father are one. So that's what provokes them. I don't know if that answers your question. There's, there's certainly um, an understanding in the Jewish people of addressing God as Father, but more corporately as opposed to personally. And the novelty of what Jesus gives us is this tremendous intimacy because what happens in baptism is now I'm brought into the very relationship that he has with the Father. That's what's happened by adoption. So that what, what Jesus is by nature, or what the eternal Son of God is by nature, is now mine by adoption. That's why I can call him Father. Not as a different entity, or not as a different person. Yes? Good question. Why does Jesus say, call no man Father, especially for us who are Catholic? Huh? If you've ever gotten into a debate with a fundamentalist, I'm sure they've thrown that at you. Huh? 
He also says, call no man teacher. You know, so what do you call the people who teach you? Professor and get around it? I mean, if you want to be really technical, Jesus doesn't say, call no man father. He says the word in Aramaic. Well, you don't use the word in Aramaic, so don't worry about it. (laughs) Right? Well, that's absurd. I mean, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, says, granted, you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you have one father, me. So Paul, Paul, St. Paul, calls himself father to the Corinthians. Now, was Paul unaware of Jesus' words? I don't think so. Or or, are maybe Jesus' words trying to say something different than just how we would literally take them? What he's trying to say is, understand that you have one person, my father, who you rely on. Only him. Call no man rabbi either, huh? But you have one teacher, the Messiah, he says. Well, we continue to call people rabbi, but... It's almost like to understand that everybody else, even at their best, is only giving you something of him. Therefore, don't rely on anybody else, even if you think they're really, really good. Don't rely on them. Rely on God. He's not telling you, hey, you know what, call your dad Bob. That's not the point. The point is a disposition of a heart and a perspective of of living as opposed to the word. Take on a brand new way of living and learn to rely on one, the one who brought forth life and the one who sustains you in life and the one who calls you to abundant eternal life. Is that helpful? Is that helpful? That's a really tough, that's a question that we've probably all heard. Is that helpful for people? I hope. That's the point. He's not telling you to be disrespectful to your own parents or as if somehow daddy gets around it. Or dad. Hey, dad. Like, well, that's not the word he used. So. But it's really a disposition of the heart and a, and a new attitude and perspective for living. And the attitude is depend on him. Huh? Remember, you and I are contingent creatures. Despite all our grandiose and proud attitudes, We are contingent, dependent creatures. He, and he alone, is the creator. We need him for absolutely everything. And sometimes it takes disasters coming into our life to realize that. That's why disasters sometimes can be a great blessing. Because the people who are worst off in the world are the people who, who mistakenly don't think they need God. They're wrong. They need God, even for the breath they take. And he loves us so much, he'll allow that to happen to us or something to happen to us to kind of shake us up out of the illusion. Because it's better to live in clarity and in truth than it is to live in an illusion. All right? So the Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God bless. Have a great night. On this edition of Christ is the Answer, Father John Ricardo focused our attention on our Heavenly Father, trust, in the film, The Passion of the Christ. His title was, Entrusting Our Lives to the Lord. We'll conclude the mission on our next program. Father John will reflect on the source and summit of our lives together, the Holy Mass. While we can never fully understand all of the mysteries contained in the Mass, Father Ricardo will provide us with a framework of understanding on, This is the New and Everlasting Covenant. We'll finish this edition of Christ is the Answer with Father Ricardo reading a locution attributed to Mother Teresa of Calcutta, I Thirst. It is true. I stand at the door of your heart, day and night, even when you are not listening, even when you doubt it could be me. I am there. I await even the smallest sign of your response, even the least whispered invitation that will allow me to enter. And I want you to know that whenever you do invite me, I do come, always and without fail. Silent and unseen I come, but with infinite power and love 
and bringing the many gifts of my spirit. I come with my mercy, with my desire to forgive and heal you, and with a love for you beyond your comprehension, a love every bit as great as the love I have received from the Father. I come longing to console you and give you strength to lift you up and bind all your wounds. I bring you my light to dispel your darkness and all your doubts. I come with my power that I might carry you and all your burdens with my grace to touch your heart and transform your life. And my peace I give to still your soul. I know you through and through. I know everything about you. The very hairs of your head I have numbered. Nothing in your life is unimportant to me. I have followed you through the years, and I have always loved you, even in your wanderings. I know every one of your problems. I know your needs and your worries. And yes, I know all your sins. But I tell you again that I love you. Not for what you have or haven't done. I love you for you. For the beauty and dignity my Father gave you by creating you in his own image. It is a dignity you have often forgotten. A beauty you have tarnished by sin. But I love you as you are. And I have shed my blood to win you back. If you only ask me with faith, my grace will touch all that needs changing in your life. And I will give you the strength to free yourself from sin and all its destructive power. I know what is in your heart. I know your loneliness and all your hurts the rejections, the judgments, the humiliations. I carried it all before you. And I carried it all for you so that you might share my strength and victory. I know especially your need for love, how you are thirsting to be loved and cherished but how often you have thirsted in vain by seeking that love selfishly, striving to fill the emptiness inside you with passing pleasures, with the even greater emptiness of sin. Do you thirst for love? Come to me, all you who thirst. I will satisfy you and fill you. Do you thirst to be cherished? I cherish you more than you can imagine, to the point of dying on a cross for you. I thirst for you. Yes, that is the only way to even begin to describe my love for you. I thirst for you. I thirst to love you and to be loved by you. That is how precious you are to me. I thirst for you. Come to me, and I will fill your heart and heal your wounds. I will make you a new creation and give you peace, even in all your trials. I thirst for you. You must never doubt my mercy, my acceptance of you, my desire to forgive my longing to bless you and live my life in you. 
I thirst for you. If you feel unimportant in the eyes of the world, that matters not at all. For me, there is no one any more important in the entire world than you. I thirst for you. Open to me. Come to me. Thirst for me. Give me your life. And I will prove to you how important you are to my heart. No matter how far you may wander, no matter how often you forget me, no matter how many crosses you may bear in this life, there is one thing I want you to always remember, one thing that will never change. I thirst for you, just as you are. You don't need to change to believe in my love, for it will be your belief in my love that will change you. You forget me, and yet I am seeking you at every moment of the day, standing at the door of your heart and knocking. Do you find this hard to believe? Then look at the cross. Look at my heart that was pierced for you. Have you not understood my cross? Then listen again to the words I spoke there, for they tell you clearly why I endured all this for you. I thirst. I have never stopped seeking to love you and to be loved by you. You have tried many other things in your search for happiness. Why not try opening your heart to me right now? more than you ever have before. Whenever you do open the door of your heart, whenever you come close enough, you will hear me say to you again and again, not in mere human words, but in spirit, no matter what you have done, I love you for your own sake. So come to me with your misery and your sins, with your troubles and needs, and with all your longing to be loved, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Open to me. For I thirst for you. This has been Christ is the Answer, program number 819. For a CD of this or any of our programs, go to AveMariaRadio.net and click on Store or order by leaving a voicemail at 734 734- 930-4506 734-930-4506 for program number 819 2004 mission number 5 No Greater Love Entrusting Our Lives Christ is the Answer was originally recorded and edited by Henry Root and is a production of AveMariaRadio.net Tune in next time when Father John Ricardo addresses a topic of Christian concern from the Catholic perspective This is Ave Maria Radio.